back to Skeologians, and this is continuing chapter one, A Vision of Biblical Complementarity on Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood by John Piper and Wayne Grudem, a topic that is just so important, so critical for Christian leaders, elders, pastors, for single men and women, for married men and women, and the realization kind of hitting me today that this might be ever so important if you are a young parent or expecting parent, which I am now thinking about, wow, um, I better educate myself on this stuff because, um, you know, it's not one of those things I, I don't think that well, put it this way, it's better to have this knowledge when your child is just being born or before they're born as opposed to when they're 11 or 12 and their viewpoints and their development uh, towards mature masculinity or mature femininity has already been started. So um, I'm feeling really called and convicted to study this. I hope you are as well. I hope you've purchased the book. If you haven't, you should. It's a really good read. Uh, sometimes you're probably going to decide that reading through the book is actually easier than listening to me try to summarize it, and that's totally perfectly acceptable, especially this chapter was written by John Piper, and I'm just finding that he really is amazing at the way that the balance he uses in his language to try to um, be firm to biblical truth, to uh, an objective standard rooted in the Bible, rooted in God's character, rooted in creation, while also diffusing typical objections, uh, misunderstandings. He, uh, he diffuses the misunderstandings by being careful and clear in his language and also providing examples back and forth of, okay, someone who might ask this, this is what I would say and here is why. Um, let's be clear on definitions of this specific word so as to not cause immediate disagreement or objection. And that's kind of the, the focus of this show, talking about leadership. So let's just review. We've been talking about the meaning of masculinity as defined by the Bible. That's what we talked about a little bit on the last episode. And there was a definition that was given. And then Piper started piece by piece explaining which almost word by word, but at least phrase by phrase, some of them word by word, what he meant by it. So the definition of masculinity given was at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide for, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. We went through the meaning of at the heart of. We went through mature masculinity. We went through the importance of the phrase a sense of. The word benevolent, referring to, remember, this is good for women. It is for the, the glory of God. Responsibility, what that meant. And then we started going through the three, or we haven't gone, but we're, that's what we're going to do, do today. The three clear tasks, tasks of masculinity, which are to lead, to provide, and to protect so lead was kind of so important and critical, it seems Piper has decided to even break that down further. And I, I posed the observation or kind of proclamation, I guess, that I felt that leadership was perhaps the most critical element of a man, especially, and I think you'll understand why, if we, if we understand the clear definition of what leadership is. And what a man is called to do is lead his family to faith in Christ, Okay, so he starts off here, and he kind of prefaces lead here, that this can be misinterpreted. <laughs> Some can think of it as sounding strong and dominant. Uh, others cannot. It carries different nuances and implications in different contexts and situations. He sort of brings up the idea of uh, someone who's leading an orchestra, commanding a military platoon, uh, leading a football team, 
calling people leading for prayer. So he decides, I'm going to explain in detail what I have in mind by the mature masculine responsibility to lead. Nine clarifying statements are what follows. So the first one is, mature masculinity expresses itself not in the demand to be served, but in the strength to serve and to sacrifice for the good of woman. He quotes Jesus and kind of brings up this idea of servant leadership. Christ said, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And then he states, leadership is not a demanding demeanor. It is moving things forward towards a goal. And so that goal is holiness in heaven, right? The leading, the leadership has to have an aroma of heaven, according to Piper. And uh, I think the clearest point here to make from this is that statement that it's not a demanding demeanor. It is solely focused on moving towards a goal. I think that is misconstrued in our society where we think that by leadership, we mean that you're the boss and you're the dictator. And that is not the case. That's not the biblical call of leadership. And he sort of talks about how, quoting the verses we read from Ephesians about husbands loving their wives, giving themselves up for as Christ did. He mentions Jesus led his bride to holiness and heaven on the Calvary road. He looked weak, but he was infinitely strong in saying no to the way of the world. So it will be again and again for mature men as they take up the responsibility to lead. We are called to mimic Christ's leadership to be servant leaders. Number two, mature masculinity does not assume the authority of Christ over woman, but advocates it. Uh, implied in the statement that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, it's not a leadership that gives to the man all the rights and authority that Christ has. Right, The analogy kind of breaks down here, and he sort of brings that up. We can't take that too far, but the principle basically is, um, unlike Christ, a husband is not preparing a bride merely for himself, but for another, namely Christ. He does not merely act as Christ, but also for Christ. At this point, he must not be Christ to his wife, lest he be a traitor to Christ. The meaning, uh, meaning then, so standing in the place of Christ must also include a renunciation of the temptation to be Christ. That means leading his wife forward to depend not on him, but on Christ. So we, we aren't supposed to be so authoritarian and worshipped by our wives. That's not the call of leadership here, the way that one would worship a king. Ultimately, we are called to lead our wife to Christ and to bow the knee to Christ. Um, and to guide her in depending on him above all. So practically speaking, um, this is what Piper would say is rule, would rule out belittling supervision, um, fastidious oversight, because we should know that she's going to stand or fall before her own master, Jesus Christ. It is not healthy leadership to make our wife fully dependent upon us in that way that blinds her from realizing ultimately she is accountable to Jesus. Number three, mature masculinity does not presume superiority, but mobilizes the strengths of others. I will say that just leadership in general uh, needs to embrace this. On this point, I think it's important to recognize what are we actually leading our wives to. We are we are not leading the Christ didn't lead the church as his daughter, but as his wife. In such a way, he's preparing the the church to be a fellow heir, Romans 8:17, not a servant girl. So any kind of leadership in the name of Christ-like headship 
uh, uh, sorry, any kind of leadership that in the name of Christ-like headship tends to produce in a wife personal immaturity or spiritual weakness or insecurity through that excessive control, that's missed the point of the analogy in Ephesians 5. Christ didn't want to create that kind of wife in the church. That's not what we are called to create either. We are leading her to be a co-heir. And so, Going, but but just like the the point of leadership here that I want to bring up that I think he brings up really well, saying, no human leader is infallible, nor any man superior to those he leads in every respect. So a good leader is going to look to the and, and take into account the ideas of those around him because ultimately, if they have a better idea than his own and it's leading them towards that common goal, that is good. Um, and so a man's leadership shouldn't be, as Piper says, measured by his obliviousness to the ideas and desires of others. A leader of peers may be surrounded by much brighter people. He, a man should listen and respond. If they are a good leader, they're going to appreciate the initiative and guidance through these ups and downs of decision-making. The aim of leadership is not to demonstrate the superiority of the leader, but to bring out all the strengths of people that will move them toward the desired goal. I would bring that up just in talking. Again, if this was, if I had a daughter even who was maybe the captain of a team, I would want to remind her that as a leader, your goal isn't to get people to worship you and say, wow, what an amazing person. It's not to have you be demonstrated as, as some superior being. The goal is to bring out the strengths of those around you and bring you towards that desired goal. I'm kind of curious on this point, actually. There's another um, element that will be brought up later on about a man's calling to protect. And and I think of an example of we put ourselves physically in between harm and our wife uh, or harm and, and another woman. Uh, that should be instinctual to some degree. We should feel this sense to want to protect. Um, but I also think in certain scenarios, that doesn't mean that a man should be stubbornly um, stubbornly stepping in between harm and her and his wife in a, in a sense. So I want to try to explain that a little bit. I think it's possible for a man to be sinful in being um, a leader in this way. In the same way that if if you're being stubborn as a leader by going, no, my way, even though there's someone on your team that has an idea that's better than yours and that would further you towards the ultimate goal in a better way than your own idea, if you're going, nope, I'm the leader, so I need to make the call here and it's going to be my way, that is a false leadership, not a good leadership. And I think a false protection would be to be stubborn in the same way. Obviously, as men, we ought to be willing to place ourselves in harm's way. That's not what I'm advocating against. But I think in if we just take protection as in terms of kind of solving a problem even that is is related to protection, and maybe that's falling under a different category, so perhaps I'm kind of presenting something uh, different, but I can just imagine certain stubbornness of, well, I'm the man, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just step in front of you here. You stand back. I'll take care of this. Whereas there are times, I think, where certain certain troubles that could come where a man should have the humbleness and the leadership to go, my wife can help me in this dangerous situation. And I, they kind of bring up some points, I think, in the protection area too, where there are certain situations. He, he talks about the idea of the man is the one who's going to go inspectigate the noise downstairs. Did I just say inspectigate? I, I guess I did. Well, inspect. 
the noise downstairs, right? That is the calling of the man to go down and do that. And he sort of talks about how there are definitely women who would be less afraid than men to go and do that and vice versa. And But still mature masculinity is the strengthening of that sense to protect, not necessarily the capabilities, the abilities. So if that situation, though, uh, the man should feel the sense should go down there. If he discovers that there is a problem that his wife is uniquely talented and able to solve, that he is not uh, because of a certain physical gift, that's, I think, the part where I'm getting to is, is to recognize that it's okay to um, humbly listen to the members of your team to further the goal, in this case, the goal of being protected. Um, I can't think of totally specific ideas here, but I mean – uh, being small enough to fit into some place or being able to see something that maybe you can't see, astute in observation. I don't know. I'm just like throwing things out there. The concept is a man can't relinquish that sense of protection, but also leadership needs to be involved here. These things should kind of work together, I guess, is my my idea as well, that as a leader, you are you are called to consider the thoughts of your the other people on your team. Anyway, number four, mature masculinity does not have to initiate every action, but feels the responsibility to provide a general pattern of initiative. Oh man, this one is super convicting to me as well. I, I know for certain things, I definitely have a good pattern of initiative, but there's other areas of my life where I could really work on this. Um, and so this calling is in general to initiate and carry through the spiritual and moral planning. The specific sometimes Piper talks about daily life, the wife are, is going to do some planning and initiating, but he says this phrase, I love it. There is a general tone and pattern of initiative that should develop, which is sustained by the husband. So if in general the wife is taking the initiative for prayer at mealtime or getting the family out of bed for church, gathering for devotions, um, discussing the moral standards for children, uh, financial priorities, neighborhood ministry possibilities, if that is if the tone and the pattern of initiative is sustained by the woman, that's, that is where something has gone awry. That's not okay. The wife may initiate this discussion, but ultimately – um, if she's the one who is sensing the responsibility for that because the husband is passive, that we just have a deadbeat husband, that is contrary to masculine, biblical mas- masculinity. And you know, on this note, he he quotes James Dobson, basically saying this passive husband who is just lazy and unconcerned and and really apathetic when it comes to the the general tone, the general moral tone, discipline tone, initiative. That is the biggest problem in America. Uh, he says, in my view, America's greatest need is for husbands to begin guiding their families rather than pouring every physical and emotional resource into the mere acquisition of money. So here's how I kind of can break this down. And granted, I have the help of now finishing this chapter as well. So this section on femininity is important important as it's related to this because remember this whole book is sort of a response to this rise in feminism feminine i can't say these words evangelical feminism it's a response to that and i think what coming into reading this text i would have thought okay it's a rise of evangelical feminism but really what the problem is and piper brings this up is it's a lack of leadership on the man's role the woman is desiring to receive, nurture, and affirm uh, leadership, protection, and provision from a worthy man. But in the absence of that worthy man, what are they to do? 
And this, I think, has been the cause of this rise in evangelical feminism. It's it's not the fact that it's just rising out of nowhere. A lot of it can be attributed to the fact that men aren't doing their jobs. So there are not men for women who desire to follow in that leadership. They're not there. And, and so for that reason, I think Dobson is absolutely right in saying the actual problem is the greatest need is for husbands to step up and be men, to have mature masculinity. This is why it's so important. They need to be the ones initiating the moral standards. And so the man needs to, again, in his, in his private study, have a dedication to understanding God's word, understanding clear a clear understanding of doctrine, clear understanding of theology, that should be part of his private work so that he is equipped to make these very critical decisions and be a leader morally um, and be a leader when it comes to the general tone of how how those very important uh, discipline, morality, spirituality are incorporated into the family. That is his responsibility to take initiative in that. So I think the initiative starts with his own personal study, his own personal relationship with Christ, and then it carries on to figuring out, okay, how how am I going to teach this and live this out? How am I going to teach this to my kids? Are we having devotional times? Are we making sure we're prioritizing Sunday mornings for church? Um, those sorts of things. It, it is not for the husband to be passive and for the wife to be getting kids out of bed for those things. Now, perhaps the wife is getting the kids out of bed, but again, that general tone has already been established and set. It is not as if the wife is getting the kids out of bed and also reminding the husband to get out of bed too. Um, so I hope you see how that's connected though, that mature femininity is desiring to fall into that leader, not fall, but be freed by the leadership of a strong, mature masculinity, a worthy man. That is the, and when it fits, it fits together, it just clicks perfectly. Now that that, that woman is freed from having to bear the roles that the man is supposed to be doing and setting the tone. They can be free to be a helper and to also provide the touch in the home that a man cannot. So again, don't confuse this with um, women are less than man. Again, that is not the whole definition of leadership here. It has nothing to do with that. And going back to even Piper beginning the chapter, he never saw submission as being less than. He never saw authority or leadership as being greater than. Um, these are roles and um, uniquely designed, ordained by God for our benefit. So hopefully that can kind of be seen there. But that that quote from uh, Dobson really rings true. And then, and really, it's proven by science. Even secularists recognize the fact, and we talked about this on my last show too, that if you, if you break down, I guess I can go backwards or forwards, the, the destruction of society is caused from the destruction of the family. The destruction of the family is caused by the destruction of marriage. And the destruction of marriage is ultimately caused by this confusion of those roles, the roles not fitting together, men not relating to women the way they are supposed to by God's design. So if we, if we define these things the way God ha, um, has laid them out in reality, if we, if we define masculinity and femininity in the way that God has defined them, then we have stronger marriages, then we have stronger families, then we have stronger societies. So really the biggest problem in America is that that's not a lie. And seculars believe that too. They, they're not going to go back to the Bible as a cause, but they, there's data that shows that, that absent fathers, uh, that's the biggest problem for many, many issues. 
Number five, mature masculinity accepts the burden of the final say in disagreements between husband and wife, but does not presume to use it in every instance. Um, this is kind of interesting. I, I also think this is, this is something that's been convicting to me a little bit. And I, I, I guess encouraging on the one hand, discouraging on the other, maybe, but I, I've thought about often, I, I'm the one who's taking initiative on fun things like planning our ski trips or training trips or anything that has to do with working out and endurance sports. <laughs> I have no problem taking initiatives, making decisions there. Um, but, but oftentimes feel this burden that if I were to do nothing, then nothing would ever happen. We, we wouldn't do anything as a marriage. We would have nothing going on if I was not taking initiative there. And I've sometimes, you know, I think maybe other husbands can feel this way too. If you, you're, you're kind of, uh, doomed if you do and, and uh, doomed if you don't. If you plan something, it's not going to be good enough and your wife's critical of it, uh, right? And if you don't do it, they're going to be critical as well. So you just kind of throw your hands up and go, okay, fine. If you're going to be critical of this, you, you plan it. You make the final call. You feel that burden. And I think the cross, the, we've crossed the line when we start to do that. That burden is ours. And, and not just on something superficial, right? Like the, these family vacations and those things. But but ultimately, that decision-making process, that is part of our responsibility. We should carry that burden. Carrying that burden is what frees up the wife to be a woman and to uh, to take on other things and to use her skill set, right? It's not fair to um, for us to have all the fun <laughs> and give them everything else. Plus, we're uniquely designed to carry that burden. So I think that's, that's something I recently convicted to me is like, Oh, it feeling that innate sense of the weight of making a decision, which is different when you are feeling that when you make the call, the final call, you bear some of that brunt. And there are some people who are men who are, who don't like that. There are some men who do like it. There are some women who really don't want to make the final call because they don't want to have people be critical of them. They are self-conscious in that way. And there are some women who really want to make the call. They want to be right there making the decision. They feel upset. This is a struggle for them. The fact that the man is the one sort of with the final say. Um, but even sometimes I feel like women who are more like that, they want the um, aspect of being the decision maker, but they really want to not have to deal with the burden of the consequences of if you made the call that was wrong, that you have to sort of feel guilty about that. Uh, so I think that's something I've even noticed is they don't even really understand what they actually want sometimes. Um, same thing with men too. Some men are like, I want to be the guy making the calls. They don't really understand the consequences of that. So having a healthy view of, yep, the final say in certain matters is going to be kind of on my shoulders, which means that I'm going to have to bear that burden as well. It's not just a, it's not a bossy thing where, where I am bossing around and I'm not taking into account the needs of my wife. And in fact, that's the second part of the paragraph that he brings up, um, this team input. So Piper says, both husband and wife should agree on the principle that the husband's decision should rightly hold sway if it does not involve sin. Very important there as well. If if the husband's decision decision involves sin, it's not as if the woman is loyal to Christ above above um, her husband, and and she has the prerogative to to um, to walk away from the decision of her husband in this, but but pray and earnestly seek and desire that he will repent of that sin, make a decision that's holy and pleasing to God, so that she can um, lovingly, freely 
um, submit to his leadership. She does. She deeply wants that. But if but she has to be principled and a mature feminism, femininity is going to judge things by the ultimate standard of the Bible. So that that does require that as well. So where were you? Okay. However, this conviction uh, does not mean that a husband will often use the prerogative of veto over the wishes of his wife or family. He may, in fact, very often surrender his own preference for his wife's where no moral issue is at stake. His awareness of his sin and imperfection will guard him from thinking that following Christ gives him the ability of Christ to know what's best in every detail. So that's important. This this abil- this uh, responsibility to lead in the sense that you are making the final call does not mean that whatever you say is the new standard. You are you are not infallible as a man as a leader, and so it's important to recognize that humbly, to often to be willing to surrender your preference, to not just use this as a veto power. But I think that that idea that. Oh, okay, I've been ordained by Christ to make the final calls. Therefore, if I make the call this way, it has to be right. No, that's not what that means. Okay, you're capable of making a call that is a bad decision, and you need to humbly think about that and to to try to follow Christ as close as possible, to consider the needs of your wife, to consider the needs of others on your team, to take into account their suggestions. That is very important as well. Okay, point number six is one of my favorite ones. Mature masculinity expresses its leadership in romantic sexual relations by communicating an aura of strong and tender pursuit. We have this incredible, incredibly beautiful dichotomy. And my thoughts, as you, I'm going to read this to you. My thought I want to present to you is this. Is this taught? Because it almost seems instinctual. Okay. Uh, and then also this, the second part that he, he brings up is just so well written. So here's what he said. He says, this is very difficult to put into words. Of course, he does an amazing job doing it. But sexual relations are so basic to human life, we would be delinquent not to at least try to say how masculinity expresses itself here. It is the mingling of tenderness with strength that makes the unique masculine quality of leadership in sexual relations. There is an aura of masculine leadership which rises from the mingling power of tender mingling power of <sighs> which rises from the mingling of power and tenderness, forcefulness and affection, potency and sensitivity, virility, virility and delicateness. It finds expression in the firmness of his grasp, the strength of taking her in his arms, the sustaining of verbal adoration, etc. And there are a hundred nuances of masculine pursuit that distinguish it from feminine pursuit. It's important to say that there is, of course, a feminine pursuit in sexual relations. This is why the word initiate is not an exact way of describing masculine leadership in sexual relations. The wife may initiate an interest in romance and may keep on initiating different steps along the way. And I'm sure you can think of people who, you've heard, if you've heard their love story, you can, you can think of this as well. But there is a difference. A feminine initiation is, in effect, an invitation for the man to do his kind of initiating. In one sense, then, you could say that in those times the man is responding, but in fact the wife is inviting him to lead in a way as only a man can, so that she can respond to him. 
It will not do to say that since the woman can rightly initiate, therefore there is no special leadership that the man should fulfill. When a wife wants sexual relations with her husband, she wants him to seek her and take her and bring her into his arms and up to the pleasures that his initiatives give her. Consider what is lost. Okay, and then he goes on. Um, I'll go to the skip to the end here. Mature masculinity will not be reduced to raw desire in sexual relations. It remains alert to the deeper personal needs of a woman and mingles strength and tenderness to make her joy complete. Um, that's an important last point, I think, to all something to think about for young newlyweds that you have raw desire in sex relations now. That might be a driving force. It might satisfy both of you for the time being. But a mature masculinity is not just that. It's going to remain alert to the deeper personal needs of a woman. And you have to mingle that strength and tenderness to make her joy complete. What does that look like? Different for all women. So going back to the pursuits uh, side, um, first of all, I thought that dichotomy, uh, power and tenderness, forcefulness, affection, potency and sensitivity, all those things. When you think about romance and a romantic love story, those are the things that are present. And you see this strong desire um, and and when a man is in love with a woman and they're pursuing her, that the, all those things are present and it's beautiful. And I do think it's interesting because though it takes a different shape for all, all different people, right? Some of these are really dramatic and obvious and you could pinpoint each of those characteristics right there. And others are, other men are shy and they their personalities are such in a way that, that it's not going to manifest itself looking exactly like that. I get that. Um, but the that those general elements are still present in some way. And I think that that really is instinctual. I did not think about that as someone who was pursuing my wife. And I think ours matched that a lot, you know, where I was definitely in pursuit of her. It wasn't like I was the the boy, right, who just had to be whacked in the head, like, by the woman. <laughs> There's, this happens too, right, where, where you have a couple and the wife is a gem, a diamond, and the guy's just kind of oblivious to it and oblivious to the fact that the, the girl likes him and he's just kind of, a, you know, dopey about it, whatever. He needs to be sort of aroused and awoken to the fact that this girl really, really likes him. And and so going back to this initiation part, in that sense, I think some people would just look at that situation and go, oh, yep, in that case, the wife was pursuing him. Well, not really. What she was asking for was and, and initiating was for that man to initiate it, to initiate and be the man that he's supposed to be and, and, and to lead in a way that only the man can, right? So even in those situations, and I totally agree with that, where um, you can think of the woman in that situation, what they want to have happen is to have that man pursue her. Um, so in that sense, I think, you know, I've always thought if you are a woman, right, you need to wait and wait for the man to take the lead. And in a sense, that's true. But but really what you just want is the man to take the lead. So can a woman initiate that process somehow? It kind of appears that it, she can in a biblical way. So initiating doesn't necessarily mean leading. And initiate for the woman can mean, can mean initiating the man's initiation of the relationship, uh, if that makes sense. So that's a word of encouragement or possibly um, something to think about and chew on if you are a single woman out there and you're like, well, I guess all I, all I can do is just sit and wait, right, for Prince Charming, the perfect Christian man, to come along and see me and pursue me. Well, what you want is for that 
per- pursuing to take place. You want the man to be the leader in that role and to act in a way and pursue in a way that only a man can. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it will manifest itself by you first sort of initiating that man's uh, ability to realize he needs to initiate something. I don't know if it's clear on that, but I think I can think of people in my life who who maybe that's a different way of looking at things, certainly in that sense, and and not, not in a way that's unbiblical. And then again, that last section, young newlyweds, men thinking about what is com- composing of of sexual relations beyond just a raw desire, a physical element of it, but being strong, strong and tender. All right, number seven, mature masculinity expresses itself in a family by taking the initiative in disciplining the children with both parents are present and a family standard has been broken. So the, obviously the biblical command is that both uh, mothers and fathers are, be, are to be obeyed. And um, both mothers and fathers can have a teaching role and a disciplining role. But, Piper says, the, the children need to see this dynamic between mom and dad that says, dad takes charge to discipline me when mom and dad are both present. No woman should be, again, this goes, picture the, the deadbeat husband on the couch watching football, kid, do some, kid does something wrong, mom takes the initiative, mom does the disciplining. That is the problem. You can't have that. And he ends this by saying kind of few things will help children understand the meaning of responsible, loving masculinity better than watching who takes the responsibility to set them right when mom and dad are both present. I think that is really critical because this isn't saying that, you know, mom can't spank, mom can't discipline. Obviously, Piper brings up earlier that 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 his mom was often had to be the disciplinarian, often had to set them uh, right and, and correct them, right? And I think this ties back to the last, I think it's point four, uh, the general tone, right? We're talking about the father who in this private study understands the law of God, the commands of God, the biblical standards for morality and ethics. He has that in his mind from his walk with the Lord. And he has decided to establish that tone on the standard of the Bible in his family. Well, therefore, he needs to be the one that is letting the, the children know that when we're both present, the reason I'm disciplining you is to is to establish with you, and especially if it's a, a boy, right, that this will be your job someday to understand God's commands and to set the tone in your family. And so when they're both present, for them to both see that well, mom and dad are a team and both on board and share in their ideas of how to discipline and why we discipline and what is the standard for discipline. They share in that. Dad was the one who had the pressure of establishing that. So, and that's not saying like, so mom was not a Christian and then dad set these rules and said, hey, we should use the Bible. And, and the mom was like, I don't think, well, too bad. I'm the father. I will establish this rule. That's not what the dynamic is looking like, obviously, um, in, in, in a lot of cases. In fact, maybe it, it, in some marriages it, where the, the wife is actually the stronger believer, more knowledgeable of doctrine and theology, has to work with the husband to show him this is your role and these are the commands of God. And we need you to set the tone for this because that's, that's your responsibility as a man. Um, but either way, I think that is really something important to not to recognize that, yeah, mom's going to be disciplining. But when we're both present, showing that to a child, and I love how he says it, few things will help them understand the meaning of masculinity and to di- the distinction than seeing that leadership role take place. 
I would guess that with Piper, that is one of those innate things that he talked about at the beginning saying, I never really understood, couldn't put it to words, why I saw mom and dad as being distinct, even though both of them could do so many of the same things. Remember, he said, they could both do this. They could both do this. They could both do this. But mom was mom was a woman. Dad was a man. And I understood that. And I think the discipline, the correcting in righteousness is one of the clearest ways to display to a little girl or a little boy that um, that is the role of the father to set the tone ethically. And by ethically, we mean in the sense that what does the whole Bible say about X? What does the whole Bible say about what is right or wrong in this situation? When dad is the one standing up and, and and drawing that line, making the correction, the child sees him as being the cornerstone to that. And and that's not saying that mom doesn't know those things, right? It's just that role. And it's so very important because if that falls in the lap of mom, again, we don't have the freedom. We'll get to this in the femininity part, but the mature femininity, a huge aspect of it is the freedom aspect that comes alive when they are able to submit in a righteous way to the leadership of their husband. It's not it's not a submission that limits them. It frees them. So very, very important. There's only two left. Eight, mature masculinity is sensitive to cultural expressions of masculinity and adapts to them where no sin is involved in order to communicate to a woman that a man would like to relate not in any aggressive or perverted way, but with maturity and dignity as a man. This one was hard for me because I felt like, wow, I got to keep track of like the cultural norms. Basically what Piper's saying here is that you should be astute as a man and knowledgeable in the cultural norms for what is proper in a way a man should relate to a woman. Who holds the door open? Who walks into a restaurant first? Who pays for the bill? Who walks, and he mentions even, who walks in the, into the orchestra, the concert hall? Who is walking down the aisle in front? And I was like, oh my gosh, I really thought about that. And like, I don't know what the standard is and I can't keep track of all those things. And I was like, does that really matter? He sort of seems to say, yes, it matters. And upon more thinking, I think the biggest reason it matters is because it is a huge witnessing tool um, to, to be someone who is living in the world, not of the world, but living in the world, demonstrating um, your protection and provision by doing those things which seem to proclaim to the world you are protecting and providing for for your wife is huge. So that would be, I think, the benefit of that. Now, I guess in, within your heart, if your sense is still there, but you mess up because you walk behind your wife into the concert hall or in front or whatever is supposed to be right, and I'm still not sure, then I, I don't know what the consequence is there eternally. But that was an interesting, challenging point. I thought it's like, oh, wow, okay. So recognizing the cultural implications of making a mistake, you sort of hinder your witness uh, because people see see you make one of those mistakes. If they know what the cultural norm is, that a ma- how a man should respect a woman, and they see you doing contrary, they will assume that you are not... Um, really respecting women. Christians must not respect women because look, at they, that guy didn't hold his, the door open for his wife. Last one. Mature masculinity recognizes that the call to leadership is a call to repentance and humility and risk-taking. I love it. Humility, uh, repentance, humility, risk-taking. This one is, is interesting and um, again, goes back to that just because we're the leaders doesn't mean 
we are authoritatively correct. So whatever we do has to be correct by a fact that we are the leaders. God's ordained this. That's not true. Uh, we need to be ready to repent of mistakes. We need to be ready to have egg egg in our face, uh, you know, pants on the ground, whatever, you know, the mistake is there. Um, and to recognize that we can make mistakes, uh, but to still be willing to take those risks. Uh, on that point, not a, not always assuming that we are right. Yes, humbling ourselves before God, uh, not exalting ourselves over any woman. Here's what he says. Sorry, the the pants on the ground, eggs on the face is better worded by Piper. It's a call to risk getting egg on our faces. And then look at this next part. To pray as we have never prayed before. To constantly be in the word to be more given to the planning, more intentional, more thoughtful, less carried along by the mood of the moment. Okay, each of those is like, I want to stop and, and, and talk about it. So to avoid getting egg on the faces or to be willing to get it. But what's the next thing he says? To pray like never before, admitting that reliance on God ultimately above all else for direction and discernment. And where do we get that discernment? Not just from prayer, but from the word. And then how does that, how is that applied? Planning, intention, thoughtful, not being carried along by the mood of the moment. The man is, is, is called to be disciplined in his thinking, in his discernment. That discernment, he, re, he recognizes in his heart that he is reliant upon God, reliant upon his relationship with God, his prayer life, the, the stability of the word. He's reliant upon that for discernment. But um, in, practica- in the practicality sense, he still is the one that needs to be not just carried away by the emotions and the mood of the moment, but to be disciplined and wise, um, disciplined and ordered in the lives, tender-hearted and sensitive. And then it like shifts over. Yep, you're you're disciplined in your thinking. You're not carried away by the emotional context of everything, but but being rightfully thinking thoughts after God. But you still need to be tender and sensitive because you are living and relating to women who are, might be thinking more on emotional terms in certain senses. I mean, that's so critical, right? It's it's not to be a blunt Irishman who can't relate to stubbornly can't be sensitive to emotions. Even though we're disciplined in our thinking and not being swayed by emotional thought, that does not mean we aren't sensitive to emotionals, emotional thought and sensitive to the emotional needs of someone else. To take the initiative to make sure there's a time and a place to talk to her about what needs to be talked about. Wow, a willingness to initiate communication, to make sure that you are taking care of that. That is something that is a struggle, I think, for many men in terms of leadership, that they forget about that element and they do a poor job of communicating. And then finally, to be ready to lay down our lives the way Christ did, if that is necessary. That last whole paragraph is such an incredible challenge and call for many men, but so powerful and true as well. Um, and I think there are certain parts in there I find, wow, that's easy. Wow, I do that really well. Wow, I'm terrible at that. Hadn't even thought of that. Oh, wow, I don't think I could do that. Or I'd be scared to know what the answer would be if someone said, could you do that? So um, I think if that's where we're at, ultimately it goes back to that first point, grounding ourselves in prayer, um, grounding ourselves in the word of God and trusting in that. Even though we, we, we may be are giving the picture to our young kids and to our wives of this stable leadership, which is, it, it's not, it's not like we're lying to them, but we are recognizing our humanness and recognizing the fact that 
even though I'm the leader here on earth, I am fully reliant on God for the strength that I need. I'm fully reliant on him for the wisdom. I'm fully reliant on him for discernment. I'm fully reliant on his word for guidance. That is perhaps the most important thing a man can do to develop their masculinity is to pray more and to read the Bible more. And with that, we will conclude this episode on the chapter. We will finish up chapter one on our next show talking about biblical femininity. Femininity. There it was. And finally, the reading of the challenge for all of us, which I think should be typed out by every single person, printed on a large piece of paper and plastered to the bedrooms of all of their children and all of your home's rooms as well. So, We hope you enjoyed. Skiologians, we'll see you next time.